Yeah, yeah, that's uh, good. So thank you guys for being here today, man. This is, uh, this is great. It's good to see new faces, not just, uh, just our old faces. I mean that in the nicest kind of way <laughs> because I got a pretty old face. Um, and, and then we're recording this, so, we, so we're trying to get a good recording so we can do this, you know, uh, with, our tra- with our leaders that aren't here, obviously, because it's Father's Day weekend, my bad. Uh, but also, it's just almost impossible to get everybody together. We need to do everything we do uh, on audio, just to be ready, or on video, whatever, uh, to be ready to be able to duplicate this also, which we'll talk about with you, to be able to duplicate this with whoever it is that ultimately you uh, train, mentor, to be a life group leader. So, uh, so man, I appreciate y'all being here. I know it's, it's an investment for you. And we're, we're just, we got content, and we're going to cover the content, and uh, we won't keep you past 2.30, so hopefully we'll be done by then. Uh, but if not, we'll stretch it on to another time, because uh, I think that's going to be enough time. So let's start with praying. God, thanks for the blessing of being able to share with these awesome people. Um, God, some of the vision that you've given us for, uh, for doing church in homes. And, uh, God, thank you for the freshness of this vision. And, Lord, that, uh, that you're continuing to, to work your experiment out here at the Gathering Place, helping us to always be flexible, God, always uh, yield to your Holy Spirit's leading. And I thank you that it's an organic process and, and just a lot of fun to be able to do ministry this way. Uh, so for these leaders today, God, I pray for uh, sharpness of mind. In some places that will be difficult, but we know you have power. Um, and, and God, for uh, just keeping us awake and alert and engaged. And Father, just pray that this will, will be a life-changing experience and a ministry uh, growth experience for everybody here. We love you, God. So just so thankful to be able to be your children and do life with you and with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, I don't want to be so formal today that we stick stick to the plan, but we do have a plan, and we do have some content we'd like to cover. But I want it to be also interactive, So, um, and that's that's the reason why I, I hate that everybody can't be here, because I really want, I think, in the interaction that we have with one another, uh, you know, it's it's that's valuable for all of us and also just to interact with each other as we go through the process. But um, this is coming out of this year just doing our uh, study in the book of Acts and really feeling like God was drawing some things together toward the end of that study. And then Francis Chan's letter to the church book came out and all of that was really pushing us toward, uh, I think the Lord was using, I know the Lord uh, was moving us toward uh, a deeper appreciation for and focus on life groups. Um, I've described it this way probably to a number of you, but uh, I think it's, it's it, for me it's been a way of being able to describe how my perspective or vision for life groups has changed as a result of the study in Acts and, and, and Francis Chan's book has been that if I, now when I'm looking at a small group or a life group, I'm looking at that group as a church. 
So if I was to put a sign in the yard where you meet, it would be a, a gathering place church meets here. Okay, now I don't know how that affects you. Well, let's just talk about it. How does that affect you? How does that affect, how does that change the way you view what life group has been? If, you were, if we were to put a sign in your yard that said, gathering place church, Bruno, you know, or whatever. A gathering place church meets here. How would that change your perspective? Not necessarily what you do, but probably what you do. Have you seen it that way? Have you seen it that way? Yes, no? Y'all been trying to? I mean, I know I've talked to some of you about this. The pastor's going to hang it. Yeah, right. Right. So, uh, so not seeing seeing your role as take as pastor of taking care of that group, rather than that being Will's job uh, or my job or one of the elders' jobs. You see it as your responsibility and your job. That's good. I don't know. That, just think about that today as we go through this. So you know, you're going to notice some shifting in kind of the way that that uh, I handle some of this content. Because some of this we've seen before. If you've been a life group leader, you've, you've seen, some of you have seen this, I guess. I don't know how, who showed up for what meetings when. But, um, but these are principles that God's given us to, to operate out of. And then some of those have been refined just to begin to think more about what is it like if there's a church happening in your host home. Or if, you are, if you're a life group leader, there's a church happening and you're the pastor. Uh, and, and if you're married, you and your spouse are you know, are pastoring that group. Uh, and and you're, you have all the full responsibility of ministry to that group of people that God's put, put with you. Full responsibility and full freedom also. The blessing of the elders. And, you know, you, we, we have already, you know, there's not a person that's leading a group that's not, that the elders have not already approved. You know, we, we put our trust in you as leaders uh, to pastor. And so, it's, a, I think, a deeper responsibility than some of us have been feeling. And uh, I guess an easy way for me to, to, to help you, to, I'm trying to get some things for you to hold on to this today, all day. So one thing is that there's a church that's meeting in your house, okay? It is a church. It, is, it, it, it can be all that the church needs to be. There, you don't need anybody else but you and the people in your group to be a church. All right? Now, we have agreed as Gathering Place churches that we also want to do some corporate things. There are some corporate expressions of some of the things that the Bible gives us as, as a biblical church. All right? There, there's some, and we, we, learned, we learned, a lot of us have read Francis Chan's book, and we've, we've learned from that book uh, some principles that we'll go over today uh, that, honestly... Because we got at the end, of, we came, came in to that book at the end of our study in Acts, we were already moving that direction in our hearts and minds and trying to move to get that way in our actions. So uh, that's also, you know, just uh, beautiful the way that God does that kind of stuff. It shows me that God's doing this not only here, he's doing it in the world. So glad to be a part of something bigger than here.
Uh, but we're, uh, our, I believe our expression here in the South is also going to continue to include a corporate experience of worship and a corporate experience of ch- child training. Uh, so, so we're going to continue to do that until God says don't. And God's blessed us with cheap and free buildings, and, you know, I mean, that's going to continue to happen. So, uh, so that's, that's, have that in your mind today, but also have in your mind that, um, you know, that uh, as you think about church, uh, when you start to feel this tendency of, man, something's gone wrong at the church, or I don't like what's happening at the church, you own it. Okay? Don't, you, there's nobody to throw under the bus. Right? Y'all get that? So f- today I'm hoping at the end of this time together, you're going to have this sense of ownership of all the ministry of the church. If there's something wrong at the gathering place, it's you that has to fix it. Right? Now, there are some, some of those things you'll have to go through elders to fix, right? But we have a process, and that's what I do. I go through elders to fix things. Right? So... You are, you are stepping up to a place of pastor. So as you're thinking about all that stuff, I'm going to be speaking to different roles, but I'm really going to be speaking, I mean, everybody see yourself in this role. Some of you are here looking at the potential of being a life group leader. You know, Sam's one of our missionaries, so he's, he's looking at it from the perspective of how to do, do church in this kind of way uh, in Galena. You know, uh, Stephen's a... a, a New host home, but see yourself as a leader. You already do because we've had these discussions. But don't just see yourself as see yourself as being in charge, okay? Being the one that's leading, pastor. Yeah, you certainly can. That's awesome. Yeah. So Will's just confirmed. Uh, that, that word, okay, he got, got something in his devotion this week about, and it's going to be in the sermon about uh, ownership. Uh, so, man, that's awesome. Um, also, yesterday, man, I, you know, I, this week I was pondering whether we should do this. I mean, we've got a lot going on personally, but and there were so many people that kept pulling out, pulling out. And so yesterday, uh, you know, when I sent the note out and started asking questions, uh, my reading yesterday was in Ephesians chapter 4 which is the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. So God said, yeah, do it. So we're doing it, right? And we're doing it in a way that's preparing other people to do it. Uh, uh, so anyway, so let's, let's dive into some of this content today. And again, uh, do what you got to do to stay awake. If you need to get up and get some food, get some coffee, it's not going to distract anybody. Um, as long as you're not screaming, we're going to be good. Um, but but let's, uh, let's try to stay, stay the course and get as much of this done as we can today. All right, first of all, I just want to go back through. I say back through. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say this anymore. Okay, I'm just going to say, the first thing I'd like to do is go through our uh, six distinctives. All right, when we talk about a distinctive, we're talking about something that really that uh, you, you, some of you may not know, but when we started the gathering place, we started from scratch. We said, God, if, they're, if the, the pages are wide open, they're empty, you fill the pages. So uh, everything that you see happening in this church is something that the Lord has spoken through a member of the church or through the elders of the church, has been approved by the elders, and the church has moved into it. So this is, we are not a model, uh, a copy of someone's model of a church. And why is that significant? Because the distinctives are our distinctives. 
Now, they're not only ours. If all of these six distinctives are not totally biblical, then we're off base, right? These are biblical distinctives and principles. And, 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 but I believe also, as I have you know, done a lot of ministry in, 30, in my 38 years of ministry and been to a lot of churches and a lot of different sizes and done denominational work, I believe this is the best expression for us in this town, uh, b- the most biblical expression of church. If I didn't, I'd be somewhere else. I hope you feel that way. I hope you feel passionate about the way God's called us to do ministry. And, and again, this is God's. So what are they? First of all, leading people to know God is our mission. All right? What does that mean to us? It means basically two things. Number one is that we know God uh, in, the, in the way of salvation. You know, this is eternal life, John 17, 3. This is eternal life. It's to know the Father in Jesus Christ, His Son. Uh, that kind of knowledge, and it's knowledge by experience. So we're not talking about just a, a, um, a head knowledge, right? And we talk about that a lot, but we're not talking about a head knowledge. We're talking about uh, a, an experiential knowledge. And so that, that kind of knowledge comes from one place. It comes from you knowing God through your own personal experiences with Him. Until you have those experiences, you're not going to know God in that way. All right, so that's the first, the first experience that anyone has with God is an experience of salvation. Now, let me pause for a second here and just do a little bit of, um, of helping us to, to grasp this moment again. You're not listening today as a student, okay? You are listening today as you need to be doing this with somebody else. Okay, so as you're listening also, uh, I, I didn't say at the beginning, but be listening as, like, you need to be able to explain to somebody what our distinctives are. Can you do that? Are you at a point where you could just run those six distinctives through your, uh, out of your memory and explain them in a way that makes sense because you've done enough thinking about it? Uh, if not, then this is, that's why you have paper and pen, pen in front of you, right? Or uh, write your notes down. And, of course, I'll send all this to you also in electronic form if you want it. Um, but, but be listening that way. So knowing God by experience, the first thing that happens for all of us is it's a God-exclusive experience. It's not something we earn. It's nothing we do to get it. All right? So it doesn't start in the abiding cycle. It doesn't start in the place of God giving a command. It doesn't start with us obeying something. It, it's a total God experience where God comes in and He touches us and He draws us and He saves us and then we get into abiding in Christ. He grafts us into the vine, right? You, you can't have the sap running through you until you get grafted in. And so, uh, so that's the first way that we know God. We have to know Him that way before we can know Him any other way. But the second way is to know Him by experience through obedience. Uh, that, that way of knowing God is, is what we talk about all the time at the gathering place. Um, and it is definitely one of our distinctives. We believe that there is a different kind of knowledge of God. A gnosko or epigonosko is a better, better terminology, but both of those have an experiential element to them. The, the word know in the scripture where Paul says, um, you know, this is what I, I want more than anything in the world is to know him, to know him. Paul, in the summation of his whole life and his, all of his beautiful ministry and mis- missions and planting churches and encouraging churches, 
uh, and the greatest missionary in, in who ever lived and wrote over half the New Testament. All the things that Paul did, he said, here's the one thing in my life that's worth more than any of that. It's a knowledge of God by experience through obedience. Paul says that's it. And so you see how good a summary that is, uh, really, of, of what biblical church is. It's us as disciples making a decision in our lives that we are are uh, going to receive the free gift of salvation from God and know Him by salvation and then continue to pursue Him through obedience, right? Uh, as in allow Him to reveal Himself to us uh, every, each and every day as we move through that. Does that make sense? Does that cl- clarify anything? Anybody got questions about that particular distinctive? Okay, so let me ask a question then. What, is, what are we going to use to help people to know God by experience? What do we have at our disposal? Anyone? Anyone? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely our testimony. Yeah, but we also have something physical that we use. The abiding cycle. Okay, that's ours. It is a, when, when we were preaching through the book of John, God gave us that book. And Talitha and I took a sabbatical, went to Washington. And the question that I was asking God at that time was, God, give us a language that will express this distinctive in a way that people can understand it and it would be a common language well it is when we talk about abiding at the gathering place you all know what that means i hope <laughs> you know so that's a, that's a tool that we use as a part of this particular aspect of our mission so as you're trying to give this away to somebody else to your life group to uh, the people that god's giving responsibility for to potential leaders they need, to, they need to have this. All right, they need to be walking in this. All right, second, second uh, distinctive is motivation. Our motivation for everything here is the grace of, and character of God. It's the grace and character of God. See, once you start knowing God by experience, what happens is, first of all, grace draws you in. All right, grace for salvation is what draws you in. When you see the grace of God, when you, when you realize who you are as a sinner, that you are, there's no way you can save yourself and that, that God did something for you that you couldn't do for yourself and he reaches down by his grace and says, I will give you <coughs> salvation. You know, Christian, and Christianity is the only religion that, that, where God reaches down. All the other religions, people are trying to get up to God, They're try, to their God. They're trying to do something to reach a, a state of enlightenment or a higher state to, to impress their God to get to a better place. But... Christianity is the only religion where God reaches down and he, he graces us. And that, that aspect is so vital for us. Grace here is huge. The book, The Secret of Grace. If you don't have that, you need that. Um, many of you, I've taken through that book one-on-one. Uh, many of you have also led that in your life groups or gone through it in your life groups. And so, The Secret of Grace by Steve McVeigh. Another one is uh, Transforming Grace by, Steve, uh, by Jerry Bridges. That's the one that really grabbed my attention. A great book. But, but we need to use those books to be able to help our people understand uh, grace. So it's almost impossible for me. Look, I, you guys know I tried to do, I didn't try, I did. 19 meetings a week, an hour a week, uh, at, the end of, at the beginning of this year, end of last, whatever it was, beginning of this year. Uh, it was very in, encouraging to me. It was great. It was, it was exhausting, but it was wonderful. Uh, but I can't do that. Uh, and it wasn't really that effective. 
it's going to be a whole lot more effective if you are doing it with one person. You know, now we have in this room, you know, today we probably, what do we have? 16 people, 15 people, whatever. I can't count. 3, 6, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 people. And then we got, you know, another uh, 8 or 10 that aren't here. Uh, of those people, if all of you are doing one, then that's more than I did. And you can invest a year in a person. One hour a week meeting with somebody to help them to understand the grace of God. But we need to understand the grace of God. This is huge for us. This is a distinctive of our church that God has given to us. And I promise you, this is one of the most unique aspects of this church. I don't understand it because the Bible is so chock full of grace. It's all about grace. There are books in the Bible. There are Romans, Galatians. That you read those two books and you don't understand the grace particularly the imputed righteousness of Christ, then I don't, I don't know how we miss that. Our eyes have been blinded to that. The church's eyes have been blinded to that, not just in, here in the South, but in the world. The work I've got to do in Romania here in a, couple, in a couple of weeks, the biggest work I have to do there is grace. I've got to teach grace. They have no clue. We are so works-based. It's, such, it's so ingrained in us. It's in our DNA, in our blood. Uh, our old nature is full of it. Uh, and even though our old nature is dead, our, our gray matter is still full of it. We still think that way because our bodies have not been trained to think otherwise. So this is huge for us. So not only grace for salvation, but grace after salvation. Right? That is, the, the, the we, get the, we get the righteousness of Christ given to us. Okay? Huge for us at the gathering place. So uh, if you don't understand those things, my suggestion is read these books, make notes, highlight and as you're reading you're reading as a pastor you're not reading as a student you're reading as a i'm going to give this away to somebody in my life group or i'm going to give this away to somebody uh, who's another believer in another church that needs it right i mean i can't tell you how many people i've been through these books with just walking through the books all right so that's our motivation but also as we develop intimacy with god i'm so motivated right now I'm so motivated right now to love God and to be all about God and not get beyond just that. Man, I'm excited about, because God's doing something right now in my life. He is showing me another aspect of his character. Uh, I'll give you just one quick story. Okay, I shared Sunday uh, the story of how God is trying to, has been speaking over and over and over again for us not to do anything, that if we touch it, then he's not going to have, then, then he'll let us have it. If we don't touch it, then he'll take care of it. Well, I, I've got a, a major bill coming up uh, for the Romania trip. I put the airline, all the airline tickets on my <laughs> credit card, but uh, I've got money. I've got $1,300 I've got to come up with to pay uh, for my airline ticket. Well, 1000 of that was given to the Gavin Place Network by someone who's not in our church last week. And I didn't touch it. I didn't talk to that person. Uh, I didn't ask for it. I'm not telling anybody about it. Because God said, wait. That showed up. And then uh, an old youth of ours from when we were in, co- in seminary, years and years ago, this was not college. Yeah, when we were in college, that's right. Long time ago, uh, bumped me on Facebook, wanted to buy uh, a an armoire from us and I was I said well, when I realized who she was 
I said, well, look, I'll just give it to you for 150 bucks. She said, no, I, I want to give you $300 for it. So that money's coming. So there's my, there's my airline ticket. Already covered. Uh, and, you know, it's just, but let me just tell you, there's story after story after story after story. Now, what does that do? It makes me know that God is my provider. It makes me know that I know that I know. It makes me epigonosco kind of know, right? Knowledge by experience that he's my provider. That makes all the difference in the world. Y'all right? Am I right? For, I mean, all of you have experienced that. Okay, we've got to give that away. That's what God's called us to be and to do. Uh, that, that is our call here. And it's not just my call and Will's call. Will gets it. Praise God for that, man. I'm so glad to be able to pass that, uh, that whatever torch on the Will, that responsibility on the Will. But there's not been many people in my ministry that have ever, I really have ever felt like I could pass it on and they're going to say it like I say it. But some of you are also there. You, you understand it. And it's not that I say it the right way. It's just I've been doing this a lot longer, right? I'm, I'm the mouth that God's used to speak this to this body. So own it. Own that. Own our motivation. We, we don't want to be motivated by outside. Let me show you just the difference. We don't want anybody to be motivated to do anything at the gathering place because somebody said, you should do that. You, you ought to. I don't, you know, all Christians do it. You, you're supposed to. Those kinds of words, the ought to, supposed to, should, we need to get that out of our vocabulary. We want the motivation for people's actions to be their own encounters with God, their own experience with God. Let them get to know God, not know you, right? All of us have had the heaviness of what it's like when somebody's putting pressure on us to be something and to do something. And they might do it, but then they're, they're going to be looking for that same pressure in order to do it again. All right. Our message, I'm just going to spend a second on this, is the gospel. That's it. Gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? Very simply, we're, the whole gospel, that, that we had nothing to bring to the table. God reached down and touched us. He drew us in. He, he gave us uh, salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. He gave us the righteousness of Christ as a free gift. And He, he gave us His Spirit as a, uh, as a surety that, uh, that we're going to have eternal life. And, and He's going to uh, sustain us to the end. And when we're, one day we're going to be with Him. All right, either after death or rapture, whatever else happens, right? We're going to be with him. All right, that's the gospel. There isn't, we're not, we don't spend a lot of time talking about anything else. That's the gospel. It's who God is. Uh, I love what John Piper wrote a book called uh, God is the Gospel. Uh, I've always said that, and I've never heard anybody except for Piper who has uh, said the same thing. You know, people always say it's a message. Well, it is. The gospel means a message, right? But, but the message is not... Uh, about something we can do. The message is about who God is. If, he's, if he gave, gave us his own son, how are we not with him freely give us all things? Because it's, that's what a person who gives in the way that he gives does. Gives all the time. All right, our methods, just a few things here. There are some other things. We try to keep this part simple because each church, including your church, each church has the freedom to, within the context of, uh, of the gathering place distinctives, to, to move, uh, to have some freedom here in the way that you do things. Okay, so, but here's some things that we hold to. One, we believe uh, the elder-led model is, is true to Scripture as described in our guiding documents. Now, some of you don't know what our guiding documents say uh, about the elder-led model, so let me just 
let's, let's just read that together real quickly and see if you have any questions about it. If I still have that up. There it is. Nope. Somebody read. Well, I need to read it because it's going to be on this. One second. Huh? I got it. All right. In order to. Uh, let's see. That's nah, not the document. Here it is. Let's okay. The fellowship of elders is the governing body of the church and consists of its pastor and guiding elders. By the way, we are equal in authority. Uh, the, the, oh, it says that. The fellowship of elders shall have the power and authority to make rules and regulations not inconsistent with these guiding documents. Okay, and you, you don't have the guiding documents, but we have those if you would like to see them. The fellowship of elders shall manage the business affairs of the church, oversee all matters concerning the conduct of public worship, and it shall be responsible for the best measures for promoting the spiritual growth and evangelistic witness of the congregation. It shall receive, dismiss, and exercise discipline over the members of the church, supervise the activities of, of other organizations of the congregation, and have final authority over the use of church property. All right? Now, there are other aspects, there are other statements in our guiding documents about elders, but just so you'll know, that's what we, this is a distinctive that's biblical, but again, it's one of these that's we don't see a lot in the South. Uh, we're starting to see more of it, but uh, we believe it's a biblical model. We believe that's why our church is, one of the reasons why our church has done so well is because we have spiritual leaders and we're careful about putting those, those guys uh, in place. Um, also, in order to support our mission to lead people to know God, we have a major focus on hearing and obeying God. That's a distinctive, okay? Or a method. That's what we mean when we talk about discipleship, for instance. Uh, we believe that God desires for us to relate to him as a person, not as an inanimate being. So we focus on relationship instead of programs and committees and those kinds of things. We have a focus on developing an intimacy with God. And then we believe the Bible has set a precedent for small group discipleship and ministry. Uh, so we, we use small groups. Uh, and, and now we... We're calling those churches. Okay, we still call them life groups, but we want them to be seen as churches. Maybe one day we will call them a church. I don't know. I think it's confusing for people in the South when they see that. But, uh, but anyway, we believe that there's a, a biblical precedent for that, and we're, I'm not going to spend time for that now because we're going to talk about it here in a second. All right, our next distinctive is ministry. We, uh, as you know, we spend most of our money and uh, our time outside the four walls of this building. We, do, we spend time in our... our it, let me just say, ideally, in principle, this is what we feel called to do. Uh, we're going to see today as we continue to work through this that we need some challenge in this area because we're still... Even though we're spending almost half of our budget outside the four walls, we're not spending really that much time... Uh, reaching people outside of the existing church. And so we need to, we need, really need some help with that. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, David's going to come uh, after lunch today and give us a, a session on that, on, you know, let's turn up our outside focus, uh, people, meeting people, greeting, you know, building relationships with people, blessing people, uh, and developing uh, that kind of ministry. And, and so focusing on that. Uh, and then also we haven't had a lot of, we really haven't had anything come out of the church body, grassroots kind of thing like the 
like the Down Syndrome Association. It's been a long time since anybody felt a need to, to minister to people in the community uh, through a ministry of the church that would eventually become maybe a nonprofit or a 5013C uh, corporation. All right? And that's one of our visions. That's, part of, that's where this came from. And so we, we want to see that happening again. And you guys will need to pastor people into that. Uh, if you don't, it's not going to happen. It needs to start in your heart and your life group's heart. And it would be great to me to see a whole life group. Well, that's what happened with the Down Syndrome Association. You know, when Mandy and Jeff had Asher, uh, their life group saw uh, a missing ministry in the community. And they felt like it was so vital that they put this thing together and they prayed, and the Lord said yes. And so now, you know, Sin Law Down Syndrome Association touches hundreds of people all over the state of Louisiana. Uh, so, and it's a nonprofit. It's its own entity. It's not connected to our church anymore. And so people are more actively involved in it, willing to be involved if they're not Christian. So it's been a good outreach for us. Uh, so we need some more of that. But that's ministry. It, it is a major distinctive of our church, but it's not really showing up that much. All right? Uh, you know, what Will and Bethany and uh, Kyle and uh, the crew, all the other workers do out here on Wednesdays, that's ministry. Okay, that's outside the four walls because those people are in the neighborhood. They're not, I mean, it'd be nice if they were in the church. We want them to. We'd love for them to be here, but we're certainly not going to pressure them into that. And we're following the Lord's lead on that. So it's out there. Uh, the yeah, the events that we do, the events that we do when we do the uh, Easter egg hunt, and we do, you know, we've done events in the neighborhood. Those are those are outreach events. We need more of that. Uh, but but also in your neighborhood, block parties, uh, inviting people to your house, all that stuff. That's all part of it. We need to start getting more focused on outreach and ministry. So David's going to give us a little uh, spiel on that later. All right, then six is multiplication. Uh, I think everybody's pretty keen on that at this point because we. You know, you, you are now uh, supporting me full-time. Uh, well, you and, and others are supporting me full-time to, to do church multiplication. And, and it's taking on different forms right now. Let me just share this because some of you don't know this, but we are doing church revitalization also. And, and here's, here's a neat thing. There's a church right now that we're talking with who, who's a church of thousands, okay? Multiple locations, four locations. Uh, that I've met with on a couple, a couple different times and meeting with some of their leaders. And they are, uh, you know, and I had to pray through this because I didn't feel like, you know, I, I, God called me to be a church planter. But when you start looking at small groups as churches, if I can have access to the small groups in a church, which is what, why this church is interested in us, is because they're not, they're losing millennials and Generation Z uh, out the door as fast as they're coming in the door. Because there's no community at all. They have as many people, according to one of their leaders, they have as many people in their life groups as we have in ours. And they have three, uh, four locations and thousands of members. Okay, y'all, you see the need? I mean, they need churches. Because they are not functioning as a church. If people are walking out the door, that means they haven't owned ministry in that church. They're not using their gifts. They're not feeling a call. Uh, they're just joining. And so something has to happen. Well, we get the opportunity now to start potentially hundreds of churches in this one, under it, with this one congregation. And so God's given me that vision also and, and had to convince me that it was something we could do. And he was faithful to do that. 
Uh, and I, it's a great story, but I won't hear it today. But if you want to hear, hear the story, it's awesome the way God brought that about. So we are all about multiplication, but also you. All right, so like right now, uh, the Bruno uh, Draper Life Group, uh, well, is now the Bruno Life Group. Uh, the Drapers are, are moving with Stephen, uh, who feels called, Stephen Frederick, who feels called uh, to start something in his home to be a host. Uh, and so he's, they're working right now to make this transition. They haven't made it yet, but it's at some point in the near future. Uh, now, Anthony's already leading the group. He's been with Wes and been a, a co-leader with Wes uh, for the whole time, but he's about to tr- transition, and their group will be, uh, uh, Wes and Melinda will go and help Stephen start a new group. All right, now they're do, they've done a good job of getting uh, Anthony ready and giving him the freedom to lead and letting him go. Uh, and, and being with him to help him as they make this transition. Okay, that's an example of multiplication. That's hard to do, but it needs to happen more. We're not doing enough of that, right? So some of you are here looking as potential leaders. I'm thankful for that. And, and uh, you need to be with your life group leader, work towards that, move that direction. All right, so multiplication, but then also us planting more churches. I'll just give you a little word the Lord brought into my ears a uh, week before last. You know, we, we uh, think about locations all the time. Like I, I've got a, a, a potential location in South Louisiana uh, that I've been dealing with this, this pastor and his elders for over a year, and they are so slow to move. And I'm just thinking, man, if I could just have a building or something in that location, some people, you know, if I could just have access to those people and they sell the building, uh, you know, give us some access to some money to, to work with, but I found out two weeks ago that according to the directors of missions, uh, a survey of the directors of missions in the state of Louisiana, there's 190 churches that are going to close their doors in the next five years. 190 churches. 190 places like what we got here when we moved into this space. Closed. For sale sign outside. Only there's probably, of that 190, I would guess there's probably half of them at least that aren't going to put a for sale sign in the yard if they had somebody willing to come start a church, willing to come do something that's going to reach millennials and the next generation Z and, and whatever happens after that, right? And we're, we're geared for that. It's in our DNA. It's not because we planned it. It's because God gave it to us. So it's exciting to think about multiplication for me. Of course, that, you know, y'all know last year was all about God moving me to this, and so... I may be more excited about it than you are, but man, I hope you can get excited about it and own multiplication. It's your responsibility. Y'all get it? It's not just mine. It's not just the elders. It's yours. Uh, so uh, join us in that. All right, let's, let's pause for a second, see if you got comments or whatever, questions. Are you excited? <laughs> are you bored? <laughs> All right. I mean, you, you're very attentive, and thank you for that. But what, what, what thoughts are you having right now? Yeah. In mo- I don't know to answer your question. So the question was, uh, are these churches closing because of um, because of lack of finance or what? What's the reason for it? I I didn't get that from them. I can tell you what I know from some of the churches that I'm dealing with that are that are declining rapidly is because they're not reaching young families. 
and they don't know, they're not willing to make the changes necessary to reach young families. And so what we're praying for is that God would bring us to a pastor or a group of leaders that would be open to that. And so, by the way, we're going to be coming to your life groups also with, with video cameras. Thank you, Zach, for yours. It was great. Uh, we're going to come to others of you and ask you to give testimonies and ask some specific questions that we can use as we start doing some of this uh, church revitalization or we go to a church that's dying and say to their leaders, hey, listen, if you're open to it and your people are willing to be missionaries, then let's, let's start a two- or three-year process of working your people to get them ready to reach the next generation. It's going to be a lot of change, but if you were going to Turkey to be a missionary over there, there'd be a lot of change. A lot of, it'd take you three years to train to get ready to do that, and it's that hard for, I believe, for a Louisiana Baptist church to reach millennials. Those old, those old school Baptists, y'all know what I'm talking about. We've all been in it, and, but it's, it's still prevalent out there, and, and a lot of them are not willing to do anything to change. So... Anyway, I think that's what it is, uh, Maggie, but I'm not sure. All right, how do y'all feel about these distinctives? Do you feel connected to them? Is there anything about these distinctives that really just hopefully, no, but that, draw, that makes you go like, what? Hopefully at this point, you're all leaders, hopefully at this point, you, you're, this is a reminder and, and a pleasant reminder that you're looking at and you're going, man, that's, that's the reasons why I came to this church. Those are, those are the things that really drew me here. Anybody? Any other questions? Okay. Uh, so the question is, and I'm repeating your questions, by the way, because it, I want it on the recording. Um, the question is, is there, some, is there some point, if we're looking at each of these uh, live groups as churches, that each of the live groups should also have elders? Uh, the answer for us at this point is no. We've, you know, we feel like that the, there were elders appointed uh, to, that were regional, really. Uh, and so the elders are really, the, the beauty of what we're doing is, yes, we want more elders. But we want to be very careful about our elders because uh, in Scripture, there's so much focus on an elder. Uh, only the, you know, the apostles were the ones that were appointing these elders. They, they were approved of, and they were godly men. And, and, and so what's happened in a lot of leadership in churches is that if somebody has money, and they can, and they want to make a donation to the church. Make uh, they, they're they're consistently make large donations to the church. Then let's make them an elder so that they'll feel like they own something, you know. And, and it just it, it gets tainted real quickly that way. And so uh, it, it is, you know, all of those can come from within the body. And I do want y'all to all be considering that at some point. Uh, is that you know, is there somebody in our group that? really seems to be standing out and do they aspire to the position of elder you know they really feel like man i'd love to be a a leader or an elder in the church and if so then we can begin to work with those people and we've you know we we uh spent we were were spending before uh bill mccullen felt led to go and pastor again we we were you know he was a part of our elders meetings and we would do that with those people bring them in spend a long time with them year two years three years, uh, 
you know, we take it very seriously. Let me give you another example. Okay, we have a professor from the college who is a member of our church, right? And when he came to town, there's not a church probably in this town that would not have made him a, a leader, an elder, a deacon, or whatever. Uh, because he, he is a uh, professor uh, of the Bible. All right, so uh, we don't operate that way. It's not about you being a professor. It's not about you having academic. I mean, what we know is that people can have knowledge academically, but if they don't walk in these distinctives that God's told us to walk in, how can they be a leader of our church, right? So we're protecting that as elders. We're, we want to make sure that the people that are going to do this are going to be in leadership, understand that. Okay, and it's, you know, as crazy as it seems, a guy that works for Suddenlink is more qualified than a guy who's, who's a, you know, a academic scholar of the Bible in this, according to our distinctives. Now, there's nothing against that professor, okay, because he also is, wants to be in training for eldership and feels and, and inspires to be there. But you know what I love about him? He appreciates the fact that, it, that he's not there yet. That he needs time and he needs to be with us and he wants to be working towards that. I appreciate that. You're not going to find many guys with that kind of humility who are going to, who are going to come out with a PhD uh, in, the, in the Bible and in, in aspect of the Bible and say, hey, I'm, uh, I'm going to wait. Right? Yeah, David. Absolutely, yeah. Good, it's good. Yeah, so good wisdom from, from uh, David Miller. The, uh, you know, uh, is, is the idea that, that these leaders, uh, the potential elders, should be rising up within your group and you should recognize them and give them opportunity to lead. And ultimately, they should be leading a group, uh, potentially, or at least begin to, you know, be in a position where they can show some of those distinctives or those qualifications in their life. Uh, and so... In a sense, you can have an elder within your group. They just wouldn't be an official elder, you know, until they until they are approved of by the church and the elders work with them also. Uh, so yeah, finding the, giving them those opportunities to express those things uh, within the context of the life group is great. All right, well, let's move into the biblical basis of small groups. Uh, I want you to know that this is not random for us. We we prayed and sought the Lord about what we were supposed to do. Uh, for, uh, for life groups, and God gave us his wisdom um, in regard to what, um, what it would look like for us. Uh, and, and we knew when, we first, when, when God first started speaking for us to have life groups, we knew that it was going to be, uh, that they were going to be like churches because 
uh, of the model that God gave us, but we just have not operated that way. We've been talking about it for a long time. It's always been our intention, but we've not done it. And so I want to uh, show you some of those and, and uh, go through some of uh, this content real quickly. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but I just do want you to know that this comes out of uh, the study of Scripture and God leading us as we prayed about what should we do about Sunday school initially, you know, what should we do about Bible study for the church, and this is where we ended up uh, by God's, uh, through God's leadership. So Mark chapter 3, verses uh, 13 to 14, first of all. Uh, it says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority over demons. All right, so first of all, I just want to make this point. Um, when Jesus called his disciples, you know, Jesus did ministry at all different levels. Uh, there were times when he ministered to a crowd of people, in, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, uh, you know, the 5,000, the 4,000. There are times when he's ministering to a crowd. For us at the gathering place, we see the crowd as the, as the community that's around us. It doesn't stop us from, from discipling people. We disciple the community, right? Some of us at a very basic level. Some of those people are not believers, but we're moving them towards that by blessing them, okay? That's discipling them. And we're doing something to help them to follow Christ. And so, uh, but, so the crowd was one way he did it. He sends out 72 in Luke chapter 10. Sends them out in pairs and gives them specific instructions to go and spread the gospel. Um, he uh, but ultimately, it gets down to the 12. And the best, we believe that God was speaking to us about this, that the best expression for a lot of reasons of, uh, of what it's like to be a biblical church happens with the 12. It's, it's, all of, it's 12 people gathering around Jesus. It's these 12, or 11 of them anyway, one of them turned out to be rotten. But 11 of them, they were gathering, and we were going to have that too, right? Uh, gathering around, but they're gathering around Jesus, not gathering around their leaders. They're not gathering around Peter. Uh, Andrew went and got Peter and brought him to Jesus. And we're doing the same thing. We're not trying to make disciples, our, be, we're not trying to make them disciples of ourselves. We are trying to make them disciples of Jesus. And so for us, uh, it, it, the group needs to be small. What do you see as the reason why uh, or what would be significant about keeping the discipleship group small? What have you found? Okay, so for the meeting of uh, for the meeting of needs is one right that that there's not you don't get lost in the in the uh, in the crowd even though the crowd might not be huge for us as Gavin Place West uh, you still it's, you know you can easily not get your needs met right if you're just depending on a Sunday morning experience or being with a group of people what else all right vulnerability is key right it, you you're going to be more vulnerable if you're with a smaller group of people. Uh, Jesus was able to do some, some things with the disciples because of their group, because their group was small in the way of vulnerability. With that, people aren't going to 
People are going to be, right, they're going to be more, people are going to be more prone to share uh, intimate details of their life with a smaller group than they will with a larger group. Because you can get to know a small group well enough, right? What else? Yeah, more participation. I mean, you know what's happened at the Gavin Place West? People that were sitting and doing nothing. When we, when we left uh, Tioga and we planted this church, people that were doing nothing made a commitment to come. Now, there were some that were doing a lot, but some were doing nothing, made a commitment to come. And when they got here, they got busy because it was going to be them or nobody, right? You start feeling the responsibility. You start feeling the ownership, all right, because it's going to be you or it's going to be nothing. That's good. Right. Right. Their motivation for doing that was still because they were uh, feeling God calling them to do it. We don't let anybody work here without, <laughs> you know that, without them getting a call from God to do it and, uh, and, and expressing that call. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It, okay. So Maddie's sharing that it's more. It's it's easier to know everybody better, and so to really meet the needs of each particular person. And uh, this past week at their life group, they shared the uh, love languages. They all took the love languages, and they were uh, open to sharing that publicly, which I think is incredible. Right? This, is, this is what makes me feel loved. That's pretty intimate stuff. Right? But, they, but they can also remember those. You, know, you remember what each person's love language is and begin to express love to them in the way they feel loved. That's a community, of, that's a small group, community, a church functioning well. Right? Jesus had that with his disciples. He knew each one of them personally. Right? So he was able to tell, uh, you know, to tell Peter, good job, the Holy Spirit revealed that to you. That wasn't Peter, that was the Holy Spirit. And a few, later, a few minutes later, he says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> that was not from God. <laughs> you know, there's this vulnerability, this pointedness, this straightforwardness. You can't do that with a group of people that you don't know. You can, but you're not going to get any effect. But when you know each other, all that begins to happen. All right. Yeah, because the group is small, you can invest significantly in their lives. Like you can be, you can be at their kids' ball games. You can go to a dance recital. You can, you know, you can do stuff uh, with people in your group. Uh, now, I, I would just say again, we'll, we'll come back to this, I'm sure, but I'll, maybe I won't have to spend any time on it because right now it's on my mind. But yeah, we need to do more of that. We need to do more of spending time at each other's stuff, going to each other's stuff. You know, and, and as you start having kids, which most of you don't yet. Uh, but as you start having kids, going to each other's kids' stuff, you know, and, and just supporting each other. We had, you know, two of our friends, two of our life group buddies uh, working in our house all week long. Thank you, Drapers. Uh, man, what a blessing. I was just telling Wes yesterday, man, who does this, right? When somebody moves, you know, somebody's calling my house to get the trailer because they're going to come load that trailer up and put back. There's not a better friend in the world than somebody that will pack your stuff and move you. 
except for the one that would go in your house and start unpacking stuff and make you stay. <laughs> right? But I mean, those are, it, it's, uh, that's, that's it. So small group, you can do that kind of stuff. There's so much more. We could go on and on about that. But that was a verse the Lord gave us. Now also, within the context of that, he uses the phrase that they might be with him and then you might send them out. Again, a small group of people being with Jesus together is what makes us ready to be sent out. Let me say that again. A small group of people being with Jesus together, gathering at his feet, not gathering just together, but gathering together at the feet of Jesus to, to love Jesus, to know Jesus, and that being our focus, them getting together uh, and, and gathering to him. The scripture says that they might be with him. That's what he chose the 12 to do. First of all, was to be with him. Then that he might send them out. We always, church has always been about sending out, sending out, sending out. And it's not supposed to be. When you're being with him, then you're going to automatically take the sending out part. It's going to happen. We just need to be with him, be with him, and let him make us uh, disciples who are uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit to reach out. All right, let's look at Matthew 16, 21 to 25. All right, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Here it is. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance, uh, for you're not, you don't have your mind set on the things of God, but on the things of man. Okay, so the point being on that, uh, being honest, being straightforward, being, uh, you know, getting into the deep conversations instead of just being on the surface all the time, that happens in the context of small groups. When you're, look, we've had groups at different stages of the gathering place that would have 40, that would have 60 members and 40 of them there at a time. And there's none of that going on. There's no vulnerability. There's no honesty. There's no challenging people. And, you know, I mean, really loving them enough and knowing them well enough to be able to say, here's my advice to you. Here's what I think you should do. I think you're, you're taking a bad step here, and you need to move this direction. It's not that going on. And it may not be going on in your group. It needs to. And that's, they, you know, this is the thing that God called us to. Uh, and that's part of the ministry of the 12. All right, let's move, let's move forward. Uh, John chapter 13, verse 5. <coughs> then he poured, a, poured water into a, a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around them. Again, another thing that happened with the disciples that didn't happen with everybody else is they served each other. You know, Jesus gave them the example of serving uh, as a motivation for them. And we need to also uh, stay focused on serving in the life groups. Um, I just want to make a statement here, that, and, and you take it as, you, as it will. You judge yourself based on this, but I really think it needs to be said in this context. I don't think we're serving each other well overall. There are times when we are. Like I've already said today, man, I had people that in the church that have served me well this week, uh, and I appreciate that, but we can't serve everybody. You know, for a while there, we were trying to get to everybody's showers and get to everybody's... You know, so everybody in the church tried to get to all their showers and get to all their stuff and, you know, and all the birthday parties. And, 
And it's overwhelming when you got to do that with even, even with just the 100 members that we have. And so, but it's not overwhelming if you stay focused on your group. Like, I know it's a lot to ask today for you to be here. This is a hard thing to do because you have, you know, so many people have small kids. They're, you know, they got family this weekend. And, but, it's, but here's what I want to say just in a general sense. Or ask, is your life group like on the, one of the top priorities of your, of your, the ministry to your life group, one of the top priorities in your life? Because that's church. And particularly as, as a pastor or a leader, is it one of the top priorities of your life? Like you think about it during the week. It's on your mind. You, you, those people are, you're thinking about them. You're caring about them. You're checking on them. You're, you're wondering, how can I help them? How can I minister to them? And you, and you have each one of them that you're praying for. And, you know, so being motivated to serve, Jesus served these 12. And he served them in such a, a humbling way, you know, uh, and, and it's, I, I just think it's a good thing for us to check ourselves on. Any comments on that? All right, I'm just going to make these statements. I'm not going to read these verses, these other verses. We need to move forward. Uh, but in Mark chapter 6, verses 33 to 35 to 44, uh, Jesus is, uh, is teaching the disciples through experiences that they're sharing together. Uh, now he, you know, he used the disciples in the crowd uh, instead of just doing it himself. It's not like when Jesus is feeding the 5,000, he, he could have just said, you know, fish and bread appear, but he didn't. He handed it to his disciples and they passed it out to the people. And so they got to feel that ministry in their own hands. They got to experience the power of God manifesting and multiplying in their own hands. And they knew it wasn't them because they certainly couldn't multiply fish and so they're seeing the work of God and experiencing the work of God and coming to know Jesus by experience through obedience Jesus handed out to them he let them try their own way first remember that he said you know hey what do y'all think we should do oh well uh, send them home <laughs> uh, okay no all right uh well you know we we could go buy some food but we don't have enough money here to do that and and, and then Paul Philip comes forward and says well there's you know, kids got a few fish and loaves. Jesus says, all right, that's, that's a good start. Let's start there. All right, so, he, you know, we got to fail. We fail first, and then Jesus comes in and shows himself. But uh, So part of what we're doing is when we're ministering together, uh, we're, we're having experiences with Jesus together in group, in our little church. And we're sharing those experiences. Man, that's a, there's nothing better. Um, again, I think it would be great for you guys to begin to think about what can your group do as a ministry some, you know, two or three times a year. Say, let's go do something for somebody together. And in those ministry experiences, it's not about you coming out of that saying, while I'm really proud, we did a great thing as a, as a life group. Or it's not a, you know, we really were effective in ministry. It's a, God, how do you want to show yourself to our group while we do this together? It's still all about Him and knowing Him. But doing that ministry together and, and watching to see how God t- shows himself to you. Jesus did that. Uh, in Matthew 12, chapter uh, 1 through 8, um, Jesus, uh, let me pull this out, hold on a second. 
uh, challenges traditions in the front in front of the disciples with the disciples. They, you know, they were uh, eating, uh, uh, picking wheat on the Sabbath. And again, we know we know this, but you know, Jesus is breaking the rule, uh, allowing his disciples to break a rule of the uh, of the Pharisees on that day. But the, but the rule that the Pharisees had, and Jesus does this numerous times in scriptures, uh, the, the, the rules the Pharisees had were not the rules that God had given them. These were their rules. And we know that one of the things that God's called us to be and do is to, to counter that. And it's hard in this culture for people to come out of that religion of rules and regulations that are not biblical into the freedom that we have in Christ and walking with Jesus. And so part of what happens in the small group is we begin to see how God challenges our thinking about what our rules that we grew up with. And it's a great place for people to, to be, to, for you to help people to flesh out uh, the freedom that they have in Christ and to get free from the bondage of legalism. And, you know, all the, again, not that we're promoting sin, we're promoting biblical uh, obedience to biblical principles and to the truth of Christ and to what the Holy Spirit speaks in consistency with the Scripture, right? But there's so many rules out there that people are focused on, and getting them out of bondage to that, you, they need help with that. And that happens so much better in the small group. We see uh, times uh, where, uh, it also with the disciples, where Jesus is able to describe to them uh, in more detail uh, what it is that he means, where they ask him, what did you mean by this particular parable? And they, he takes them aside and explains that. Uh, so there's, that he is trying to help them to see the truth in light of all the religion that they've grown up with. And that's definitely one of the distinctions of our church and one of the things that God used this to, to call us to. Um, also in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, uh, talking about... Um, uh, hearing uh, God speak to us, you know, are you honestly sure when God speaks to you? Does it help you better whenever you hear someone share specific testimony about uh, how God spoke to them? We had a service a couple of weeks ago. It was just beautiful, great, when people shared testimonies about how God spoke to them. The, the life group is a place where that can happen. You know, if people are sharing testimonies, uh, if you're in a you know, again, in a large group of people, uh, or you're not close to them, you're not probably going to share your testimonies, and if you are, feel like you have time to. And so now we have two to three hours that a lot of our groups will spend, you know, uh, every time they meet, and you have the opportunity to share testimonies. So we need that. Our people need to hear testimonies of how God's speaking uh, to help them get a better grasp on when God's speaking to them. And then Acts chapter 1, 8 you know, Jesus told the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. And that's also, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, uh, wait on that and let uh, David share that with us. But we have a plan. You know, the blessed acrostic uh, of how we need to be witnesses. Uh, allow that, the witness of Christ that we've already been empowered to, to give uh, to begin to flesh that out. And it's not something that your group is designed to do. And so the difference here at the Gavin Place is that we're not talking about uh, a program. We're not talking about memorizing 
uh, a, a plan that you present to somebody. We're talking about inviting people to do life with you. Getting involved intimately with people that are not believers. Uh, you know, Scripture doesn't tell us not to be involved with people that are not believers. Scripture tells us, gives us some warnings about how we're involved with people that are not believers. But he also, uh, God, you know, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. He also said, you know, go make disciples. Uh, you, you can't spend all your time with disciples and make disciples, right? And so uh, it, we trace, what we've done at the Gavin Place, we trace that all the way back down to Abraham and the blessing that, we were, that God told Abraham he would be to the nations. And so we bless people. That's our goal, bless people. And so we'll talk some more this afternoon about what that looks like. All right, questions about the biblical basis of small groups. All right, we're going to take a break. This will be a potty. This will be fruit, eat fruit. You got a question? No? Yeah, you're looking at me like... No. Okay. All right. All right, let's take a break.